Welcome to another edition to Talking with WIT, Kevin and Son. This episode is brought to you by RMK Productions and the 10 United Podcast Network. Our mission is through the power of your story. We want to uplift your voice, share stories and experiences and perspectives using the framework of teaching, learning, and modeling. Our purpose is very simple, is hope, helping other people every single day. Now, today, this is a conversation that happens a lot within my social circle, and I'm broadening my circle in order to share it with you. A couple of years ago, I read a report about the uh, Fortune 500 company and how they the lack of representation amongst ethnics and um, um, ethnics and black people or women. Um, it was embarrassing. So new data reports that the Fortune 500 companies um, represent representation of women and individuals of the under uh, represented racial and ethical groups um, has made some strides. The findings from this report has gone from, you know, zero numbers to almost that um, they're not in double digits yet, but, you know, 55.3% are represented by white men still to this day. More than 30% of that number is represented by uh, women right now. Blacks hold 26.5% of those seats and increased by 8.7. Asians grew from 4.6. Hispanics grew, this is a big number, from 4.1 to 4.7. That's a big increase, right? Two years ago, each of those categories with the exception of uh, one group we're in either one in the single digits or zero. However, I want to peel back the layers um, of this conversation and connect the dots to a conversation we need to have. We need to talk about facilitating diversity, equity, inclusion in the classroom. Today, I'm bringing in a very special guest. She is an educator. She has 17 years in this position, 16 years of educating our young minds and has been uh, a presenter on some very prestigious boards on this conversation of talking about equity, diversion, equity, inclusion, diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI. I'm horrible with these acronyms. But I also want to say this person is a personal friend, a much respected um, professional, and one of the most compassionate people I know, especially when it talks about um, the environment of educating our young pe- people, our children. So without any further ado, I want to welcome my good friend, uh, Miss Felipe. And I'm a Southern boy. Until I'm given permission to address her by anything else, I'm going to um, give her the same title that she gets while she's at school in Upper Marion um, Middle School and High School here in the Pennsylvania area. Miss Felipe, welcome to Talking with Kevin and son. How are you doing? I am great. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. And you are free to call me a Shia. Um, you know, this is a very personal conversation. So we're just, you're good with the Shia. You, you know something? It's not only personal, it's a conversation that needs to be had. In many social circles, and I'm going to say this for you because I know I don't want to say anything that's going to cost you your your career, but it's a conversation a lot of people don't want us to have. There's a conversation in boardrooms when um, diversity, equity, and inclusion 
our conversations we only had to do because we had to do it when we came out of COVID. And they still don't want. It's still a um, little boys uh, network. There's been some strides, but I've often wondered, are we doing it just because it's politically correct? Or is it something that we really feel in our hearts that is needed? I know that, you know, MLK um, Day is coming up in um, 2024. And we're going to talk about the peaceful march and how that, how his message and how his dream applies to this. Um, I was often curious if his dream is still alive. But when it comes to uh, equality, when it comes to diversity and being all inclusive, I personally still question if we're still committed to this conversation, which is the reason why I have you on. So if you don't mind, I want my um, our listeners, because now my show is your show. I want them to get to know you. So if we don't mind peeling back uh, a layer or two of your life. Tell us a little bit uh, about you, your upbringing, where you came from, and how this conversation, this acronym now attaches to your mission in life. Yes. So um, my name is Ashia Philippe. I am born and born and raised in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, Central PA. Recently, I um, have moved to the King of Prussia area. Um, so born and raised in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, uh, graduated from uh, Central Dolphin East High. From there, I went to college. I went to Clarion University, where I majored in education, got my bachelor's there. Right out of college, I began teaching uh, for Susquehanna Township School District, received my master's degree while teaching at Cabrini College, which is actually here in the King of Prussia area, but it was a cohort, so I was actually taking classes Um back home in Harrisburg and um, taught in the classroom for 16 years. All 16 years were in second grade. Um, and then I would say within the last four to three to four years, um, I got involved with our mission um, at my prior district with uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, um, being instrumental in the work being done there, both at the district level and the building level. And um, as you said, when you introduced me, I had done some presenting at conferences centered around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And from there, that's where I became aware of my new role that I am in now um, as advisor of diversity, equity, and climate um, for um, Upper Marion Area School District. And so I am in this role. It's a very new role for the district and for myself. Um, But I've always been passionate about uh, cultural awareness and cultural relevancy in the classroom. You know, when I first started teaching, it was called multicultural education. And it's grown into now this inclusion and belonging and diversity where we really look closely at including um, students and having them feel belonging uh, in the classroom. Oh, thank you. And and the the reason why I preface it early in my conversation about um, if our our society was ready for this, and, you know, when we came out of COVID, there were Mm -hmm. companies that had never shown um, a male or female in a principal role of any color, any ethnicity other than white. Mm-hmm. There were companies that did not brand their product with anything other than 
you know, like-minded or like look-alike people. Now we have, you know, um, black and white couples. We have gay couples. We have trans couples in advertising and whatever. And I question, you know, when it when it became politically correct to do so, was this a commitment for now or a commitment long term? So the reason why I brought you on here because you're an expert in this conversation. I, I'm I'm speaking from the heart and from my head. Mm-hmm. Do we need to keep having this conversation on DEI? And do we really want this conversation of DEI? Absolutely. I truly believe we need to continue to have the conversation. You know, a want is a more so subjective in an emotional sense, but I think it's for the betterment of the whole society to have the conversation. The conversation around DEI by default tends to be uncomfortable because people feel like you're targeting them or attacking them or guilting them, all the things. So when you go into the conversation, you have to be very open-minded, whether it's at the corporate business level or at the educate or within education, whether it's K to 12 or at the university level. Um, just like we had the civil rights movement for change, now we're in the era of we have to have the DEI conversation for change. I feel like the conversation where DEI, where we are now, mirrors the civil rights movement in the sense that, of course, there was pushback. So you're going to have the pushback, and that's the want. You know, I don't want to have the conversation. But with not wanting to have the conversation, to me, I feel like it's centered around fear and fear of losing something or fear of having to uh, uplift someone and then maybe your spot being taken or something like that. Um, And it's important to note that DEI isn't just race. It's also, you know, um, LGBTQ, it's it's religion, it's um, mental health, it's disabilities. So why why wouldn't we want to have a conversation that is around all the people that we see and know in our lives, rather directly through your family or friends or through the people that you work with at your business or your corporation or your school, or even if you're an entrepreneur, the connections you make with people who you service. So absolutely, the conversation is a must. All right. And before we go into ed- education, I want to ask you a- another general question, because this is conversation that has come across my plate. Um, I serve with some people as a mindset coach and DEI, um, sexual discrimination has been weaponized. You got comedians that can't tell a joke without putting a disclaimer out there. You've yeah. got uh, people that can't give you a compliment on your hair because they're not the same um, skin tone as, as you. And mm-hmm. now we have what I call reverse racism is that, mm-hmm. you know, now I'm offended because I'm a black person. You shouldn't be able to say anything about my hair when a compliment, a man can't mm-hmm. say, you know, good morning to, to, to someone without it being taken out mm-hmm. is DEI now being taken out of context because now it's a weapon for people. And how do we reverse that? So it's only a weapon if you allow it to be a weapon and take it out of context. Um, We have to be careful not to throw a monkey wrench in confusion because that hijacks the the narrative and the mission. Um, When you talk about uh, 
now I can't give a compliment to a woman of a different race, right? That's like, whenever your intention is good and you just say, oh, your hair looks nice. I don't think any person would be offended, but it's the microaggression. So whenever we're not using microaggressions and a lot of people still need to, you know, be educated about what a microaggression is, then I, I think you're okay. Um, I would like to believe that most people aren't interested in playing victim and using DEI as a way to say, oh, I'm offended. If you're truly offended, you're truly offended. But don't make it to where it's reverse racism or thinking someone is um, sexually harassing you. And then we have to look at the terminology harassment. Harassment is constant over, the period, over a period of time. So if somebody's just saying, oh, you look nice today in a very generic way, um, you know, thank you and keep it moving. Um, now, if it happens and you express that you're offended, then yes, we are moving towards the harassment side of things. So it's all about being transparent and having the conversations and being meaningful, not using it for your own agenda. I think we tend to get very agenda-based with a lot of things, and then people do just that with DEI as well. And that, that's the reason why I think education is so important. I think before we react, I think conversations need to be had to explaining why you've taken a position with whomever you are speaking with before the position becomes a problem. So I'm, I'm glad you, you said that. Now, the key thing is here is that you are an educator. You are in the first line of um, our defense on what change will be. You, you are responsible for the jewels that are in our treasure chest, our children. Um, you're having a conversation in school that most parents will be offended that your children are being taught. Um, yeah. This plant, planet, especially the United States, we're a melting pot. We're mixed. We're we're Skittles, and we won't we won't even ha have to, to to say what we are. But you know, we rather be um, one um, flavor instead of multiple flavors. We don't want to be 21. We want to be 57 because we are. So in yeah. the classroom. Yeah. In the in the classroom, uh, you know, you're the first person I've ever met that's in our education system that's an expert in this field. Mm -hmm. um, what do we need to happen in our classrooms across the country? Because there are some there are some states that don't even want to entertain the conversation we have. How mm -hmm. do we do DEI in our school systems? Where does it start? Yeah. So. I say that it starts with the teachers, right? Because students show up how they are, who they are. They're 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 the kids. So we have to start with the adults. Um, the adults need to be aware of how to be culturally relevant, how to be inclusive, um, how to talk to students that may look or act different than you. Uh, we need curriculum that allows students to see themselves through their ethnic, ethnicity, through their religion, through their culture. Um, we need to have conversations with educators about making connections with students, conversations about being more restorative instead of punitive. So it starts with an awareness with educators 
and a self-evaluation um, because all of that is going to trickle down to the students. We hold the students accountable for school rules and regulations. We get that. That can be pretty standard. But when it comes to the teacher, when it comes to the relationship, I think it starts with the teacher. We're the adult. We're the one that is accountable to ourselves as a professional and even the parents and then the community. When the students are in our care, we are responsible for them. They're not responsible for us. So I believe it starts with teacher preparation. It starts with professional development. It starts with an awareness and a self-evaluation. And, and that's a very pretty picture to paint because you're in a very unique situation in Upper mm -hmm. Marion in Pennsylvania. But mm -hmm. I also so, so know that yeah, conversations with other educators in the surrounding areas, they mm -hmm. most teachers feel like they're, they're held hostage. They teach what's whatever the state uh, teaches them. They don't have mm -hmm. these conversations because they're feared of um, perception, interpretation of the conversation that is going to cost them their job or maybe yeah. their, their career. So that's a beautiful conversation to have. But how do we spread that um, that broad paint stroke? Um, outside of Upper Marion um, Middle School and High School? How do we get other educators in other areas? And especially when you look at the the underserved, the minority mm -hmm. students that are in there, they're mm -hmm. not normally representative, represented by teachers that look like them. They're not right. only, not only do they not have teachers that look like them, many of them have teachers that come outside of their neighborhoods that just drive in, get a paycheck, teach and leave and yeah. have no connection with the community or the child yeah. or can't relate to it. How do we fix that problem? Right. And it's it's important to note and just to reiterate what you said, it's not just it's a everywhere type thing. Right. It's just not wherever I'm at in Pennsylvania. It's it's everywhere. And I think that I think. Representation matters. Right. So one, we need to have teachers that look like the students that we service. However, I always say you can't get water from a dry well, meaning we need students and potential teachers of color to go to college to get a degree in education, um, some scholarships to help along with that, some programming to where we have like grow your own, where a school district will send a student to college using some grant or scholarship money with the understanding that when that when that child graduates, they'll come back to that school and teach. So you're growing your own educators and you can specifically target students of color for that program. We know that's a good deal because it's mostly students of color who cannot afford to go to college. So they need the, the scholarship money or the grant money to be able to get a college education. So one part, when we think about representation, is to get students in college to become educators. Um, and yes, we have teachers who are just like, I'm just here to teach, right? I don't see race well, or color. Well, that only can hold up but for so long because your interactions with students will reflect how culturally relevant or how culturally sensitive um, you are. So you have to be intentional. You have to encourage the conversation. You have to hold your colleagues accountable. You um, have to 
take risks when it comes to this work and um, being equitable, being an equitable educator. And, and I'm I'm glad you, you're going to say you, you said this that people don't see color because I hear that statement um, often, and I'm going to say this because um, this is what I, I was taught is that when, when you hear the statement, I don't see color. If you mm -hmm. drive, you see color, red, yellow, and green. The reason why that statement came came into play is the same way the grandfather clause uh, came in, is that when slave on owners were beaten, maiming um, their slaves, um, uh, destroying families and so forth, the people that basically turned a blind eye basically mm -hmm. said, you know, I don't see color. Is because they didn't want to acknowledge what was existing was was real. So you do see color. So if your heart feels different, get rid of that conversation. I'm saying that just because we're we're having this conversation. But right. when yeah. we are having this conversation about DEI, mm -hmm. is that you know in our libraries, I don't know what your library looks like. Um, when we don't hear the stories when we don't see examples of people having success, and I'm going to ask you this question before I go on, on my little tirade here, is that I've said this several times in my podcast before we came out of COVID. I said that we need to stop sending our children to universities and colleges that will cheer for us on Fridays and Saturdays and four years before we graduate or after we graduate, we'll vote mm -hmm. against our freedom. I mm. said that we, you know, that 107 historically black colleges, which there's a benefit from no matter black, white, or whatever of going to because the expense is not that high and education is an education. Is that, am I being um, part of the problem with DEI making that statement? Or is that an observation um, or a conversation we had? I just want to be self corrected. Yeah. So are you saying that you are highly recommending HBCUs for black students um, and over PWIs? I, 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 I am saying that any student will get a first class education at a historically black college. And because of the conversation of getting a lesser education from white universities and colleges, is out there, and I'm and I'm saying sometimes we don't need to sit at at, at a table that doesn't welcome us at that table. We have mm -hmm. many outstanding uh, academic and athletic people, and I and I said this with with Deion Sanders. If we went in and supported our own instead mm -hmm. of going to some place that doesn't welcome us, because there's not a cultural divide at most white universities. There were mm -hmm. black kids, Hispanic kids, Asian kids, Indian kids don't feel accepted just mm -hmm. because of the color of skin. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm saying there's other opportunities and options. Just because you graduate from Harvard, Yale, and, and so forth, does not mean that you, you have a better education than someone that graduated from um, Howard, um, Cheney, Central State, Wilberforce, or any place else like that. Okay. So thank you for the clarification. So I I, I, I think I understand what you are saying. So before I give my opinion about that, it makes me think about how systemic racism is one of the things is education, meaning it's very intentional, whether you're talking about redlining. Um, and so that's K to 12. 
So then, of course, when you get to the university level, you're going to have your PWIs and your um, HBCUs. Because remember, there was a time when Black people couldn't even go to school. So we created our own schools. And HBCUs is an example of that. Can you still get a good education at HBCU as a PWI? Absolutely. Um, when you say they're not like supporting us and sharing for us outside of like once we graduate, right? So like I, I graduate college, do I have the support or do people really want to see me in whatever position I'm in? People that are not black. Some may say yes, some may say no. Some may say you, you don't know because not everybody is a racist. But there is something to be said and be proud about when you get your education from where you are celebrated. So HBCU will celebrate you through and through from start to finish. I personally did not go to an HBCU, but I felt that my experience at a PWI, I was still found my group of um, multicultural where I fit in. And when I went to school, I wanted to go to an HBCU. And it was a significant increase in tuition. Um, and I had money, uh, a partnership program that I was in specifically for a state school. So I chose Clearing University and I struggled with that. And my mom said to me, struggled meaning I really wanted to go to an HBCU. But my mom said to me, going to a PWI doesn't make you any less Black. And going to an HBCU doesn't make you any more Black. And I heard her and I'm like, yeah, mom, I hear you, but this is what I want. <laughs> Nevertheless, I went to um, a PWI and I'm here to say I'm as black, 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 as pro-black as they get. And so now years later, it clicked what my mom said, even though back then I wasn't trying to hear it. So it's all about your purpose and if you're willing to be a voice. Because we're having this conversation, Kevin, but I'm here to say you and I are both Black, but there's some Black people, they wouldn't even want to have this conversation. Through that, through so, that. So it's like you could kind of go either way with it. You just got to use your experience and use your voice. But Go ahead. I was going to say, but. I still, you know, my heart was in the HBCU. So if there is a student that would, you know, has an HBCU in mind or in their heart, I'm going to channel them in that direction because of the richness and the culture and the celebration, especially if they are not a student who has experienced that in the K-12 setting. So, for example, in my district where I'm at now, we take our students All right, we have a little bit of a glitch um, in our internet connection, and she was about to say something extremely profound, and so um, um, promoted and wait, you were free. Oh, uh, it was freezing on my end or your end. All right, you were you were saying something extremely profound, and we got caught just in a little bit of it. Don't worry. Um, okay. Can you repeat that last part? About the HBCU? Yep. Oh, I was just saying that even though I'm not an HBCU grad, I still 
at, you know, cheer students on. If it's in their heart and their mind to go to a HBCU, I definitely am in their corner and being their advocate for that, especially students who do not because of the richness in the culture in the HBCU, especially for students who don't have that in the K to 12. So that's not their experience because they may be at a mostly white district. Like, so for example, the district where I'm at, we take our students, um, juniors and seniors, HBCU college tour. And it's a very good experience for them. Yeah. And I, I don't want to come across my listeners as, as seeing dividing uh, people in education. I'm a big fan of HBCUs, um, but I'm also look, looking at the fact that economics, you can still get a good edu education. I'm also looking Absolutely. at. Uh, I'm also looking at the, the the fact as as far as feeling like you belong at a university culturally, it's more acceptable no matter what race you are at a smaller college than it would be. But the other concern is that there's a group of people that's sitting in Congress right now that's trying to get rid of the Pell Grant. That means for those of us that fall into the category of the underserved or poor, that this grant will not be available for you to have an education. And instead of graduating from one of the big schools that, that, that having a six-figure debt, you may um, graduate with not having very little debt at all. So asking this question, coming back to where you're at in your field, because um, I know there's some challenges of being where you're at, especially in the area that you're at. There are some pushbacks and there's some people that are closed minded to a conversation of DEI altogether. What are some of the barriers that you've observed and experienced in DEI in education? I think it goes back to the conversation of people wanting to have the conversation, the uncomfortable conversations and being um, transparent. Um, also, making sure that it is across the board. So like I said, it's not just race, it's LGBTQ, it's mental health, it's disability. I think that when we realize that it's not just um, race, people are more open to it. Also, another barrier, people feel attacked. They feel like you're guilting them. Well, I'm not a racist, you know. I, I, I'm not the reason for this. I'm not the reason for that. And it's like, you want to make sure that you have the conversation, but um, without, so you can try not to guilt, but the person has to have the, the accountability on themselves not to take it as an attack or a guilt. Um, so to be honest, I think the biggest barrier overall is keeping people how can i explain it just say it you said we, you're going to be honest we tend we tend to want to make everybody comfortable and it's not comfortable you're going to be uncomfortable you're going to be uncomfortable you're going to have to examine your privilege you're going to have to examine your bias you're going to maybe have to change some things you're going to have to commit to not uh being micro aggressive. You're going to have to commit to not being condescending. You're going to have to commit to not being sarcastic. So there are things where you're going to have to be willing to listen and push past the comfortability and welcome the challenge without feeling that someone is trying to guilt you or attack you. I feel like in life, we're told about ourselves in different areas but for some reason, when it comes to DEI, 
it's personal. And it doesn't have to be that way. It could be an awareness and a learning. And as educators, we teach. So we ourselves should be lifetime learners. So the barrier is pushing past the comfort, the comfortability, people still sitting in their privilege, people still sitting in their entitlement, people still in their bias. Yeah. People that say they're not comfortable with the conversation with the kid. Why? Why? I, I asked that question myself. And the surprising thing is you, you put all the, uh, the conversation that we all need to have that's uncomfortable all into one. You did not exclude any group. You include it, no matter what skin color you are. You included every single group, no matter what your choice of who you love and who you hate are. You included bias amongst your own race, no matter what skin color you are and whatever. And gender, I mean, you you killed it with, with, with that statement. And I, I hope everyone understands. And, and, and please note this. Education is not designed to make you comfortable. It's no. designed to make you think. No, exactly. It is designed to make you think. And um, and that's the reason why um, I sent you a link over uh, about a documentary by a friend of mine, Jeffrey Robinson, of the Who Are We Project. And I'm mm -hmm. hoping that you guys watch that and uh, learn because there's a lot of information that I um, that I thought I knew that, I, that now I know more. Um, mm -hmm. But is one of the takeaways in, in that project is that... Um, the same thing Martin Luther King did with the peaceful protest. What was he looking for? You know, justice. Mm -hmm. He wanted people to find compassion and kindness in their heart. That's the reason why he didn't fight back. And he wanted all people to love each other. And he believed in, you know, we the people. It was not a threat. And it included all people. Um, can, I, can I interject, can I Kevin, for one second? Yeah, please correct me. No, no, no. It's not a correction. You, it was just a thought um, when you were saying Martin Luther King, something that I wanted to add on about a barrier. And I thought about with the peacefulness with Martin Luther King and it brought me to tone. I think educators need to watch their tone. Now, as you can hear and you've been around me in person and maybe your listeners can hear, I'm not a soft spoken woman. OK, but I know how to talk to people. And I think our children can feel when an educator is talking to them in a tone that all you would have to ask, will you want someone to talk to your child like that? Now, when I was in the classroom, did my voice escalate at times? Absolutely. But my students knew that I cared and I loved them. So I would say before you raise or escalate with a child, make sure you have a connection. Right. Because at that point, it becomes policing. And yes, students need corrected. I will never say a student doesn't need corrected, doesn't need to be held accountable. I was in the classroom for 16 years with second graders. Please believe me when I tell you I ran a tight ship. Anybody that knows Miss Philippe will tell you that. But you still knew that I cared and I was fair and I was compassionate. So I don't know why my brain went there when you said the MLK and the peacefulness, but I just for some reason, it just brought me back to tone, the way educators talk to students. I think that's very important. Yeah, because I, you know, I, I, I this is personal. Again, I, I think um, we've lost some very good educators. 
um, because they could not tolerate the style the teaching is done um, in current day situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and we lost them to the big business for profit. And um, oh. we need good educators. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that our young people, when they see Miss Philippe um, talk about DEI, I, I know she's talking to you. And I, I hope that you take a, a role in your future and yes. you say, I want to be a teacher. I want to be a teacher like Miss Philippe. I want to be someone that cares and makes a difference in a child's life. Because, mm-hmm. you know, one of the big things throughout my whole life is mm-hmm. that um, a person with an education is a very powerful person. For a sure. very powerful person. That's the reason why I write books. Um, how do people get in touch with you? Because so you can get in touch. I'm sorry, go well, ahead. I was going to say the reason why is because I've heard you speak um, publicly and you should be doing more speaking. Matter of fact, you even gave my speech once. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> By accident. I was so embarrassed. Now, don't be embarrassed. It, it, it was like, well, I'll, I'll make it better. I mean, it was nice because I, I did an uh, impromptu speech, so I carried my own. It was hard to follow you, but you are someone, you're, you're fresh face, one. You're a fresh voice and you're a sound place for conversations that need to be had. And I think corporations um, outside of the classroom and other areas in school school rooms uh, need to have you. I've seen people make a good living that don't look like either one of us talking about DEI. And I'm confused. I don't know if someone that doesn't look like me, that doesn't have my experience or doesn't look like um, the Asian community, Hispanic community or the Indian community or the biracial community, LGB community can talk about DEI when you haven't lived uh, the life in our communities. So I struggle with that. But companies, big companies, were hiring individuals because they have good followings. And I know for me, sitting in an auditorium or a room, with a speaker that has no um, experience of what I go through every single day. I, I struggle with that. And I basically say privilege, you know, and I have to sit through there because I work. Can that be taught by someone other than someone that's knowing um, a firsthand experience? It feels, it feels like gaslighting if you ask me. Um, and it's not to discriminate, but when you have a person and especially in the business setting and sometime in the education. Education is a little different because we have different things rolled out from the Department of Education that must be implemented. Um, For example, we have some culturally relevant sustaining goals that have been rolled out. And depending on who's available, you may need a coach or a teacher that is not of color to roll that out. So- Yeah, so that may look a little different, but in the business setting or the overall setting for DEI, it can feel like gaslighting because there is going to be an uncertainty from a person that presents that information and they're trying to work around their bias and their privilege, but they really cannot because you haven't lived it. So if you have someone like myself who's sitting in your audience, depending on what you say, I may be like, are you serious? Like this, this, there's no way. Are you gaslighting me? Put somebody on the mic who's lived it. So, um, it, it, it can be, that's a sensitive issue for me. And I'm still working through that. Luckily, most of my experiences I have seen with people of color, but um, yeah, 
I, I, I sometimes, sometimes, depending on the setting, you know, you don't, don't, you don't send a, a, a what, a, a reading teacher to teach physics or whatever. I don't know. That may not be a good analogy, but stay I in your you. lane. Stay in I your lane. You. I, 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 <laughs> you said this was like a backyard conversation, so that's what I would say. Stay in your yep. lane. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I have to ask this question. Um, yeah. Because every year we have an election and every 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 four years we have an election to elect a president or someone to make decisions for us on our or speak on us for our our behalf. For the last since my time, education has always been the platform of every single politician out there. And it mm -hmm. seems that this is my personal opinion, not yours. I'm not speaking for your school district or you um, hadn't changed. If you could speak or have the power to change three things about education universally in all 50 states, what would you change? Woo. So right off the bat, we have to pay our teachers more. We have to pay our teachers more. And a, being a teacher is an esteemed position. However, our country does not look at it as such, and it is not valued as such. And that is discouraging. It is disheartening. It's even distasteful because we are servicing the young minds of our future. In fact, we are around other people's children more than the parents. And if you are a parent, you're around other people's children more than your own. Um, there's different opinions as to why teachers get paid pennies or in some districts, I shouldn't say all districts and pennies is a stretch, but we're underpaid for sure. Um, but nevertheless, I just, I don't know why. I, I don't know why we still have not seen the value in teachers, especially after COVID. So that's one. Um, another change I would make is curriculum. Um, you know, I taught at the elementary level, so I taught everything. But for your secondary level, you get more in depth with the content and our content needs to be more multicultural and it needs to be truth. And it needs to expose some things and it needs to be relatable. So pay teachers more, curriculum, and the third, this is this is a a big one to tackle, and that would be discipline. It, it's huge. I mean, whew, teachers are putting up with a lot more than they should have to when it comes to discipline. But I think that falls on the support from admin. And again, this is not district specific. This is just in general. I mean, you can click on anything in Google or even TikTok <laughs> and you see all kinds of things with um, discipline. Um, so we have different things are implemented. We have PBIS, you have um, restorative practices, but there's something, there's something missing. We're losing something where our discipline in school is just it's 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 bad 
that's bad. And it and it's actually one of the main reasons teachers are exiting. It's one of the main reasons there's a shortage. So you cannot talk about school if you don't talk about discipline because the discipline is what's causing the teachers to exit or retire early. Good teachers. And I and I know that to be a fact because you know the conversation I have repeatedly with a lot of successful um, people that I've had on my podcast, and it's been a couple hundred people that I, I've had on here, one of the consistent stories, including my story, is that we knew how far we can push Miss Felipe. We knew mm-hmm. that in the event that we pushed Miss Felipe too far and we had to bring our parents in, that the uh, um, punishment was going to be consistent based on uh, whatever situation we've got got, got ourselves in. But now um, children, they hold the magic wand. You know, parents are, you know, are, are not looking at the, the child being held accountable, but they're looking at the teacher to be more accountable and, and falling short. And they've mm-hmm. given children the, the power over our educators. We no longer have these conversations when a child says, oh, I'm not going to try Mr. McLemore. You know, I'll, I'll push the, the boundary someplace else. And we are losing good teachers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the one thing I said about COVID, and I'll say, you know, it's not my interview, but one thing we learned is that we, we've we got to raise our own children and we've got to raise our children better because we're, we're hoping that someone else is going to make them better people than we, we sent them off to that morning. So I, I appreciate you saying that. And um, I, I, I'm going to say it for you. Raise your own children. You know, be more yeah. proactive because the first level of education comes from your child. I mean, it comes yeah. from your parent. The first level of uh, hate, <clears throat> you know, should only apply to food. Your vegetables, yeah. you don't like that. Don't make it uh, hate based on a person's skin tone or where they come from or their economic. And um, the the first line <clears throat> of love should also come from your parents. Show them That's how right. to love and respect uh, people of all color and show them how to love themselves. Mm-hmm. All right. And not send your child to school hoping to love someone that you, you're going to cost them their job one day because your child decides to act up. Yeah. So I'm sorry. I'm talking to talking to the uh, the choir because we all know better. None of our kids <laughs> fall in that category. None of my listeners. I know that. And so no, no one's going, going to be a, a offended um, by that. You know something? You are an amazing person. You know, well, from you. the conversations we, we've had um, before you got on this interview, and I wanted to showcase your, your talent and have this conversation of DEI because it's, um, I, w- I wanted to make sure that some people out there, and I hear these conversations, are using DEI as a weapon. And that's yeah. Black people too. And it shouldn't be, you know. Um, yeah. there, there's been some progress and there's been some companies, there's been some institutions, which I commend, have gone in, you know, all in. Mm-hmm. And then some people are dabbling because they're not for sure how to do it. And if you're one of these companies that's not 100% sure, I'm going to ask um, Mrs. Felipe to give you her contact information and yeah. invite her to show you how. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Kevin. So you can reach out to me um, via email. My email is Ashia Philippe at Comcast.net. So that's A-S-H-I-A-P-H-I-L-I-P-P-E at Comcast, C-O-M-C-A-S-T dot net. Um, Feel free to send me an email. 
Um, I can give my phone number. That's fine. Uh, don't, don't give your don't. phone number. Don't give your phone number because okay. I, had, I had someone show up on my podcast yesterday, invited to general public, and they were using the bathroom while they were on my podcast. So don't oh. do that. Okay. Don't so do that. I'm going to keep my phone number, but please reach out to me, Ashia Philippe at Comcast.net. Um, I, like Kevin mentioned, I do do some speaking and pre presenting. Um, I do PD for educators K to 12. I can even do some um, PD at the college level as well, centered around um, belonging and inclusive inclusion and curriculum. So reach out to me um, wherever you are, and I will be happy to have a conversation with you and or do some um, presenting training, workshops, professional development on all the things around DEI for your company, your business, entrepreneur, education. I have a little something for everybody in my toolkit. I like to think of myself as this toolkit that could be a resource to whoever needs it in the DEI space. And I, I'm going to say this to everyone that's picking up the phone about the caller. Don't call her and have the first question that comes to it is how much does you cost? You know what your budget is. Pay her, pay her what she's worth. You know, if you need to negotiate, you call me. I will do it. Pay it for work. Take care of her transportation, her per diem. Make sure she has at least four-star accommodations and treat her like the king that she is, the queen that she is. All right. So let me ask this question. Yes. All right? yes. I have a lot of people that follow me and subscribe. And I only ask, you know, when I first got into this business, they said, you've got to have thousands of people to make impressions, whatever. And I said, I really don't care. I said, what I do care about people that have a high call to action, the people that subscribe and follow RMK Productions and both my podcasts, talking with Kevin and Son and Motivational Sundays with Kevin and friends, they are people that have a high call to action. They don't drive by an accident. They stop to help. So I'm asking you right now, if you had your ask, one ask, and it could be multiple, ASK, means that if someone can make one of your dreams come true, what will it be? And I, I will put this disclaimer on there. In the first year I was on here, I had four people that answered this question, and four strangers asked, answered their dream. Now, some people spend a whole lifetime and never have one dream come true. You have an opportunity, if the right person is listening right now, pulling into the Starbucks or putting their kids to bed or preparing dinner for their, their families or that single father that just happens to be in that in, uh, place where he just retired and wants to give back, this is their opportunity. So what would your ask be, A-S-K? Wow. So I kind of do have two. Um, Go ahead, so knock it out. Okay, so the first one I'm going to piggyback off of the opportunity. So if you would, I would love for you to book me, host me as your DEI um, colleague, liaison, trainer, personal, professional development person. Um, so I would ask that if you're thinking about any kind of DEI training, you think of me. <laughs> the second ask is be your child's advocate, your child, your grandchild, the child next door, the child at church. Um, the, the the child at the community center, the child on the sports team, be your child's advocate. I would ask that you check in regularly for their academics, their relationship with their teachers. This may sound a little harsh, 
But when you disconnect, you allow things to come in. When you connect, you check it at the door. Your child may be going to school and having trouble in the class or with the teacher, but you don't know because they're not coming to you because your life is busy and their life is busy. But when you are your child's advocate and you can support them through an email with the teacher, conference, please go to parent-teacher conferences, you are checking and stopping these things that we talked about today at the door. You are being an advocate and promoting and encouraging equitable practices in the classroom. That's all colors, genders, religion. Your student has a voice, but I would like to encourage parent voice. We have this thing we call student voice. Now I think it's time to start talking in a sensible way about parent voice and being your child's advocate. But first, check in with your child and then check in with the teacher. And it's not an attack on the teacher. It's just to let the teacher know, hey, I'm here, I'm around, I'm, I'm here to support you, but I'm also my child's advocate. And I think when parents can develop that healthy relationship that's been so hurt, the parent-teacher relationship, that's when we have that village. So be an advocate, play a part in the village, and let's bring together parents and teachers and make that bond healthier. Let's strengthen it together. And with that said, we've covered so much information. If you like what you've heard, go to RMK Productions and Network on our YouTube page. You can follow, you can subscribe. You know how I feel about that. Um, but you can also reach out to Ms. Felipe um, herself directly. And just remember, all right, be that child's advocate. My grandfather always said, when you get to a point in life and you can help someone else, it's your duty to do so. Reach one, teach one. And with that said, much love to all of you. We'll fade to black and we're out.